You're listening to Dr. Karen, Love and Life, right now. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril, psychologist, author, speaker, former professor, professor, and musician. Learn how to have true intimacy. Drag down, knock out fights, and then have like really hot makeup sex, right? I'm all about living authentically and finding the best version of you and living life to its fullest. Don't stop that play button. Get connected. You know, marriage is great, but only if it's a great marriage. You know, fear can't live without thoughts to support it. Got the passion. Channel your path to a more authentic you. Living an authentic life. Listen to Dr. Karen right now on Love & Life. Welcome to Dr. Karen Love & Life. Hi there. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. I'm a psychologist, author, speaker, former professor, and musician. You might know me from my latest book, Single is the New Black. Don't wear white till it's right. I'm here on my new podcast. We'll be talking about living and relating authentically in all realms of life. We'll look at how to have true intimacy in romantic relationships, more meaningful friendships, healthier family connections, more productive and fulfilling careers, and we'll learn methods for staying happy, hopeful, and positive all while channeling a path to a more authentic you, living an authentic life. So today on the podcast, I want to continue the theme that we've been exploring this month about renewing and reclaiming our lives in any area that isn't working for us. And today I want to talk about renewing and reclaiming our lives in order to amp up our self-esteem. Now, you know, self-esteem is one of these buzz terms or psychobabble stuff that people always talk about. And they're very concerned about self-esteem and feeling good about themselves and how to help kids have a higher self-esteem. And all of that's really important. And there are some research-based tricks or hacks for helping you amp up your self-esteem. And I want to look into them. And I want to also, just as a side note, mention that, you know, self-esteem can seem a little bit selfish, right? I mean, the word, it's all about me and how I feel about myself and, and my esteem and how I view myself. But I want to argue that when I love myself and I feel good about myself, I'm better for everyone around me. Right, Because if I feel good about me and I hold myself in high regard, then I'm going to be a better wife, be a better friend, be a better coworker, daughter, sister. So really, it's, it's absolutely the opposite of selfish to focus on yourself and feel good about yourself. So let's look into some brass tacks, though. You know, it's easy to just talk about, like, I want to feel good about myself, but how do we really do it? And you know, on Dr. Karen Love and Life, we focus a lot about taking charge of our thoughts. And I believe and I assert that when we take charge of our thoughts, we truly take charge of our lives. But again, that can even seem a bit nebulous. Like, what do I mean by that? And also, you know, I'll be honest, there have been times in my past when if someone was trying to tell me, hey, you know, keep smiling or, you know, chin up, uh, you know, that kind of could feel like a cliche. It could feel like kind of a pat answer to something that I was experiencing that was very hurtful. And so I don't want any of this to come off as very, you know, hackney, cliched, because it's really powerful. And again, that's why I always want to ground what I talk to you about 
in research because I don't want you to think it's just me going rah, rah, rah. There's Karen being all positive, which I am, and I will rah, rah, rah. But I want to make sure that there's that underpinning that, that hey, this is research-based, that there's a ton of, of folks out there studying this stuff because we really do want to know how to thrive in life. We really do want to know how to make the most of this gift of life that we've been given. So getting back to taking charge of our thoughts, how do we really do this? I mean, again, it can seem very intangible and kind of hard to really concretize. So let's look at this. And I want to give you three profound but very simple research-based hacks. You know, I'm into my hacks recently. The love and life hacks, how to boost your self-esteem quickly, how to amp it up quickly. And the first one I want to look at is really something that I think all of us struggle with, and maybe women more so than men, although I don't really know, but one thing that, and I addressed it in my book, I devoted an entire chapter to what I call playing comparison games, and it's so easy to do. We look at other people, and we size ourselves up against them, and it is really such a waste of time such a waste of neural energy, just a wasted (laughs) exercise because really comparison, we're not in competition with each other in this life. We really aren't. And and sometimes we, I mean, it's the NCAA tournament, right? So, I mean, yeah, we've got our brackets and we're competing. But when it comes to just living our lives, we shouldn't be comparing because what's going on with someone else's life really has nothing to do with me. It really doesn't unless I decide it does and then look at them and decide, oh, they're further along here than I am or they've got this perfect situation here and I don't. I'm the one who's choosing to have that thought, to make that comparison and then choosing to let that make me feel bad which we really don't want to be, especially as women. We need to be about girl power and we need to be about lifting each other up. And when we play those comparison games, we get that catty, nasty side of of the female experience that I just don't want to be about and I know you don't want to be about either. So in my book, I have a whole chapter, which of course you guys know my book is for single women. And when I was single for years and years and years, it was sometimes easy and tempting and unfortunate to compare myself to my married friends and go, oh, you know, they met the one and, you know, I'm still waiting and I'm still out here. And, and, and it's natural to do, but it's really a very, very powerful practice to stop doing it. Just stop. I came across this quote by Theodore Roosevelt one time and I tucked it away and I've just, you know, I have it in my mind at all times in, in case I catch myself trying to go in that direction. And it says, comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. Why would I want to compare myself to anyone else and then rob my own joy? Or even worse, when we sometimes you know, meander into that territory of hating on someone because they've got success or that they're happy. I mean, we don't want to be those women that's petty and that's small. And we want to be big and, and full of joy and recognizing that There's abundance in this life and someone else having joy and success does not take away from your joy and success unless you let it. And one of the things that researchers are looking at now, which is really kind of troubling, is the whole social media piece to all this because there's been a ton of research and I don't want to get at Mark Zuckerberg, but (laughs) a lot of psychologists are looking at what they're calling Facebook depression because there's a ton of research that shows that the more time we spend on social media, the more likely we are to be depressed. 
Now, we have to be careful when we look at psych research that we're not trying to say that Facebook causes depression. Okay, so just because there's a correlation, and in psych we say correlation does not equal causation. So just because I'm on Facebook and I'm feeling depressed, that there's a correlation, there's a link between the two, it doesn't mean that Facebook is causing me to become depressed. But it does mean that if I spend a lot of time on Facebook, I'm more likely to be depressed. Now, you could argue which came first, the chicken or the egg, right? Do depressed people hang out on Facebook more in the first place? Or does my time on Facebook then make me more susceptible or vulnerable to depression? Either which way, it's something to be careful of. And in fact, some researchers are trying to really get at, you know, what is the underpinning here? If we note that there's a connection between a lot of social media use, and it's not just Facebook, right? So <laughs> we can't throw Facebook under the bus. I mean, the studies have looked at Twitter and they've looked at uh, Reddit and they've looked at uh, Instagram, all of them. But what is actually the, the underpinning? What's the underlying factor at work? And so a recent study from 2014 in the Journal of Social and Clinical Psychology, and the study's got a cute title, it's called Seeing Everyone Else's Highlight Reels, How Facebook Usage is Linked to Depressive Symptoms. And so again, they looked at this correlation, but what this study did that really kind of cleared the picture even more so was that they found that it really was the social comparison factor at work. So that's the piece, that's the connection that's making us struggle. So when you look at social comparison, just to unpack this a little bit more, social comparison, what's interesting about it is sometimes we look at other people and we do what researchers called upward social comparison, right? So I look at people who I think are prettier than me and more successful and have a better life and I'm comparing myself upwards, right? But we can also compare downwards. And so sometimes there's been the thought in the literature that, well, if people look at people who they assume are a little bit lower than them, right, not quite as cute, not quite as successful, that then they'll feel better about themselves, which again, we don't want to be about that anyway. We want to feel good about ourselves without having to put anyone else down in the process. But Researchers had thought that if you were doing upwards comparison, you might be more likely to feel depressed. But if you were doing downward social comparison, you wouldn't feel so depressed. But here's what's interesting about this study. They found that it didn't matter. That any type of comparison that we're doing on social media is linked to being more likely to be depressed. So Theodore Roosevelt was right. We are stealing our own joy when we're playing those comparison games. And it's really so tragic because there's no reason to do it. And I'm not, I'm not saying like get off social media. I'm just saying when you are on your social media platforms, be very careful of what you're doing. What's going through your head when you're looking at someone's baby shower pictures? Are you going, dang, I want to be a mom and I'm not. Or when someone is showing you photos, the highlight reel, as researchers called it. When someone's showing you their fabulous vacation in Cabo, are you then going to that place of comparison? Or are you able to look at those images and go, hey, cool, I'm happy for them. If you're really able to do that, then carry on and enjoy your social media time. But if you find that you're comparing all the time, you really want to take control of that and take charge of your thoughts and how you're consuming social media. You're listening to Dr. Karen Anderson Abril on Love and Life. Go to her website, drkarin dot me. That's www.drkarin with a K dot me. Have any questions? 
or would like to share your story with Dr. Karen, email her, Karen, K-A-R-I-N, at drkaren.me. Okay, so the second hack I want to give you to amp up your self-esteem is to be very careful about your mindset. And mindset is a fantastic theory that's based on Stanford University psychologist Carol Dweck's research that she's been doing for decades. And this is actually a theory that I came across when I was a professor and I was teaching developmental psychology and developmental counseling. And I came across Carol Dweck's research and it really excited me because of how powerful it was. And again, one of these simple changes to your mindset that can be so powerful. And then I found her book, which is also called Mindset, The New Psychology of Success. I'm I'm not kidding you. I read the book and then bought a ton of copies and literally started handing them out to people. I was like, "Um, you work with kids and you really need to have this book, like to my friends who are principals, uh, teachers, parents, because when I start telling you about this, you're going to see how important it is, especially, I mean, for ourselves for sure, but then also for when we're working with kids because the messages we give them makes such a huge impact on them. So let's look at the mindset. What is Dr. Dweck talking about when she refers to this term mindset? So she looks at mindset in two ways. There's a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. And in a fixed mindset, this is when people believe that their basic qualities like intelligence or talent or abilities, that these are all fixed traits like you're born with them. It's actually one of the things that's kind of bothering me right now about a lot of this genetic testing that's going on. And I think, you know, I'm a psychologist. Nature versus nurture is the fundamental question in psychology. And I love that, uh, teasing apart that question. But the problem is when we assume that, for example, our DNA has made me exactly the way I am and that from conception on, I was going to be a very fixed way, we remove the power of our effort and our hustle and our grit. So getting back to the fixed mindset, when we are in, as Dr. Dweck calls, a fixed mindset, we're stuck and we believe that this is the way I am. So for example, I would say I'm a vocalist and I'm a good singer and it's because my mother is a good singer and I got the good singing gene and that's it. And I'm good and and lucky me and that's great. So the thing about a fixed mindset is that it locks us in and it's not even a positive thing that you're really fantastic at something. You'd think, well, okay, well, as long as I'm fixed in the sense that I'm really good at things, right? Like I'm a great singer, I'm a great athlete, and that's just my God-given genetic ability has made me really great in these areas. But the problem is, and Dweck's research, which I'm going to explain just a moment, shows that that's not even a positive thing. And before we go forward, I want to give you the other part of her mindset, which she calls a growth mindset. And when people have a growth mindset, they believe that their most basic abilities can be developed. They're always growing and they can be developed through determination, hard work, grit, hustle. And so brains and talents and whatever you've been given genetically, that's just your starting point. But no matter if you've been given a ton of talent or not so much talent, there's so much growth possible. So just keep those two mindsets in mind as we keep talking. So fixed mindset versus growth mindset. Now here's the thing that's interesting. So Dweck has done a ton of research, uh, particularly with children in this area, but also her book really speaks to all of us, you know, so adults can get a ton out of this theory as well. And really it struck me because I hear a lot of my friends who are parents talking about their kids in very fixed terms. And now that I've read the book, it's like a red flag waving because I hear them say, oh, you know, well, Susie's really smart 
and Joey, he's the athlete. And I'm thinking, if you're thinking that and saying that and the kids are hearing that, what are they doing with that information? They're then labeling themselves and acquiring their own fixed mindset. Now, just to show how powerful this is, I want to explain just a real quick little study that Dweck did, which I used to share with my students in my grad courses. So she did this study with second graders, I believe, and she gave them a, a problem. I think it was a math problem that was going to be very challenging, like above their heads, what second graders really shouldn't be able to do very easily. And she split the kids up in two groups. And one group, as they were working, they were getting feedback from the teacher and they were getting feedback like, oh, wow, you're so smart. Look at you. You're, you're doing really great on that problem. And oh, wow, you are so smart. You're so bright. Wow, you're really intelligent. That's the kind of feedback they were getting, which, by the way, I think most of us would initially think, well, that's great. Sure, tell your kid they're smart, right? That's going to improve their self-esteem. The other group, she had the feedback that the teachers were giving was all oh, I love how determined you are. I love how you're rolling up your sleeves and really trying on this very challenging problem. And wow, your stick-to-itiveness, this is great. You are just really giving it your best. And then after the kids finished trying to work on that problem, she had them try another problem. And she asked them, she said, hey, would you want to try another problem? It's even more challenging. And here's what's fascinating. The kids who had received feedback based on a growth mindset model, really focusing and reinforcing their effort and their tenacity, those kids were like, yeah, bring it. I want a more challenging problem. Yeah, because they knew that they would be getting praise for just trying, for just hustling. And here's what's interesting. The kids who have been told, oh, I'm so smart, you're so smart, and you're, you're so intelligent, those kids did not want to try a harder problem. Why? Because they had a fixed mindset now. I've been told I'm smart. I believe I'm smart. I certainly don't want to threaten that identity that I've taken on by trying something more challenging that maybe I can't do, and then it will prove to myself that in fact I'm wrong. I'm not smart. When I read that, my mind was blown. I was like, oh my gosh, how many times have I adhered to a fixed mindset and perhaps not taken a challenge or not taken a risk because I didn't want to threaten my identity that I'm clinging to, that this is who I am. When there's so much power in the growth mindset, which suggests, hey, there's really no limit. Whatever I I believe I'm pretty good at, keep challenging myself because I can get better. Or if I don't think I'm so great at something, keep challenging myself. I might prove to myself that my tenacity and my hustle are more important than any kind of genetic talent that I was given in the first place. Hi, I'm Laura, and I love listening to Dr. Karen Love and Life every week in Evanston, Illinois. So getting back to the self-esteem hack, what Dweck's research shows us is that we need to just continue to talk to ourselves. We need to continue to create our own identity in our mind based on not fixed mindsets, but growth mindsets. So I need to not tell myself. So, so the point is catch your own thinking. When I, and for, so for example, you, you, many of you guys know I'm a vocalist, right? And so I've had a fixed mindset that I'm a really good singer and my mom's a vocalist and my family's very musical. And so in my mindset, I've had this identity that I'm a good singer. And so I know that sometimes in the past, I wouldn't want to threaten that by maybe going into competition or maybe doing, if, if my voice wasn't feeling 100%, then I certainly didn't want to perform because what if 
someone in the audience didn't think that I was a fantastic singer. And so not living, not embracing life because the potential for my fixed mindset, my fixed identity to be threatened. Or another example in an area that I don't really think of myself as so great a fixed mindset that I'm not the strongest athlete out there. And so for many years, I was like, oh, my brother Elliot, he's the athlete in the family, and I'm not. And so limiting my own potential. And it's funny because now I take tennis all the time, and I play several times a week. And I'll tell my coach stuff like, well, you know, I'm not really an athlete. He's like, what are you talking about? (laughs) You know, he sees me. He's like, you actually do quite well. You know, so these kinds of mindsets, they are so impactful on how we feel about ourselves and the esteem that we give ourselves. So the second hack for self-esteem is to watch your mindset. Hi, I'm Madison and I listen to Dr. Karen's Love and Life in Cary, North Carolina. The third way that I want to encourage you today to work on your self-esteem through taking charge of your thoughts is to really examine when you're allowing yourself to ruminate. Now, some of us are bigger ruminators than others, and this is something that I became aware of when I was getting my master's degree in clinical psych. So in clinical psych, that's the branch of psychology that trains you to be a therapist. So in my graduate training to become a therapist, one of the things we do, obviously, is we focus on feelings, and we want to help clients identify their feelings, and we want to help ourselves identify our feelings, because if I'm aware of my feelings, then it helps me become more empathic to my clients when they're sharing their feelings. And so I don't want to say that feelings aren't important, because that would be a very bizarre thing for a psychologist to say, right? But I also know through the research in cognitive psych, which focuses on your thoughts, that when we obsess about our feelings and what researchers are now calling ruminate, so that going over and over and over circumstances, feelings, scenarios, if we're ruminating on things that are negative, we are really doing ourselves a disservice. And I want to look at what we're actually doing to our brains. And this is another topic that I want to get into much more in depth at some point. But just for now, just the hack, I want to encourage you to just be aware of when you are going over something to the point that it's now become detrimental. Because sometimes the best thing we can do, we've identified our feeling, we've gone over it enough, we've talked to 25 girlfriends about it, and it's not changing. Sometimes the best thing we can do is just switch it up. I like to borrow from what uh, Joel Osteen's one of my favorite preachers and, and motivational speakers. He talks about switching the channel. When we are in a negative space and our mind is just running in a negative direction, just switch the channel the way you'd switch the channel on the TV if something came on that you didn't feel like watching. And really, it's that simple but not easy. We talk about that all the time in Love and Life, things that are very simple and profound but not necessarily easy to do, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't do them anyway. So one of the things that we've learned about rumination, and this is in in ruminating in in psych, is is that it's actually, again, related to depression. So again, if we're feeling depressed, we're not feeling happy, hopeful, positive, we're not having high self-esteem. So we really want to take away any activities or aspects of our life that are linked to depression so that we aren't making ourselves vulnerable and susceptible to depression. One of the things that ruminating does, it reinforces neural pathways. And I'm not going to get super neurological here, but for the sake of understanding what the research shows us, is that think about water going down a mountain. Think about water going down a hill. It's going to find a path, right? And it's going to run down the hill into the lake or wherever it's going. 
And it's going to continue to go down that path. And it's going to continue to reinforce that groove such that after a period of time, it's going to be deeper and deeper and deeper, the groove. So when that happens, it just becomes a deeper groove that's now easier for the water to go down, right? It's kind of similar to our brains. When we have a thought, let's say a negative thought here, we're actually having a neural pathway become reinforced time and time again. So neurotransmitters are going from one neuron to the other, and they pass through the synapse. And then again, you know, I'm not a neurologist per se, so I'm not, not going to get super technical here. But what they're doing is reinforcing a groove. I mean, think about the water coming down the hill. It's very similar. So when we continue to ruminate on negative situations or thoughts or feelings, we are then making a strong pathway, which then becomes easier for us to think. And we don't want to make negative thoughts easy for us, do we? We want to actually make the positive thinking the easy way to think, the default mode of thinking. So we don't want to reinforce those negative neural pathways. We want to reinforce positive neural pathways. So when we think about something like thinking positively, which again, like I said earlier in the in the program, can feel like kind of like a cliche, like just think positively, the glass is half full. No, but really comes down to a neurological level. It's like lifting weights. If I'm trying to make myself strong in one particular area of my body, right? If I want strong biceps and I shouldn't be doing squats all the time, right? I'm, I'm, I'm strengthening the wrong area of my body to achieve what I want. And so it's the same thing. If I, if I don't want to be depressed, then I have to stop reinforcing those neural pathways that are keeping me locked in depression. And so sometimes, and I'm going to go back to my own experience now, you know, you know over the years, there's been many times when I've had to renew and reclaim my life. And you know, after breakups, after I caught off my wedding, for sure. And, and sometimes I was pretty good at that. And sometimes I wasn't. And one of the times that I was doing better at that was when I was really just saying to myself, Karen, you can think about this all day long and it's not going to change anything. I was catching myself really reinforcing those negative thoughts about a breakup that really kicked my butt in my 30s. And I just kept going down like, what if? And and why didn't this work out? And he should have. And why come? <laughs> all these kinds of things. And really, it wasn't getting me anywhere. I was just ruminating without having any kind of solution or anything that I could change about it. I remember thinking... I just wanted to love him and be there for him and take care of him. And then I remember one day thinking, and you did, Karen. You did. You loved him and you were there for him and you took care of him. And then it was done. And there's nothing more you could have done. The relationship was over and you got to move on. But that was so hard for me, which is something else that we'll talk about, I'm sure, in future episodes. But one of the things I did at that point, getting back to the neural pathways, I realized that all my ruminating was getting me nowhere. And so I really just distracted myself. I was just switching the channel whenever I could. And it can be something really simple. It can be something like, for example, for me, I remember I was taking public transportation a lot for my job. And I would just sit there and stare out the window. And there's all those places that we used to be together. And there's our favorite restaurant. And and it was getting me nowhere, like I said. So one of the things I did, I just started like carrying around a crossword puzzle with me. So that anytime I felt myself trying to go down that negative road in my mind, I would just switch the channel, distract myself, and, and make myself think about something other than the relationship. Now, that sounds really like, really, would that work? I mean, that's so silly. But honestly, switching the channel doesn't have to be that hard. Just distract yourself, call a friend and tell him, hey, you know what? I need you to talk to me for 10 minutes, please. And for sure, do not let me talk about my ex or whatever it is. So those kinds of things are ways that we take 
power. We take charge of our thoughts. These are ways that we can renew and reclaim our love and our life and really trying to get some concrete ways, concrete hacks, if you will, to take charge of our thoughts, to take charge of our lives, and to take charge of our own self-esteem. Hi, this is Damia Jackson. I am an avid listener of Dr. Karen's Love and Life podcast. It empowers, educates, and informs me to make better decisions in my life. I am happy that this resource is available to me. So I want to leave you with three love and life hacks for self-esteem. First of all, let's stop comparing. There is no need to play comparison games. Comparison is the thief of joy. Don't let it rob your joy. Secondly, watch your mindset. When you catch yourself thinking in a fixed way, I am this or I am that, switch it up immediately. Just change it to a growth mindset, which allows you endless potential. And the third hack, switch the channel. If you are stuck ruminating and you find yourself in a negative space mentally, just switch the channel. Distract yourself, call someone, get out of that negative channel and move to the positive. Hi, I'm Vicki Zarley and I listen to Dr. Karen, Love and Life in Palmdale, California. You can find me at my website, www.drkaren.me and that's Dr. Karen, D-R-K-A-R-I-N. On Twitter, I'm at Dr. Karen Anderson. Facebook, Dr. Karen Anderson Averill. Instagram, Dr. Karen. And I'd love to hear from you. You can email me your story or ask me a question. I'm at Karen, K-A-R-I-N, at Dr. Karen, D-R-K-A-R-I-N, dot me. Thanks so much for subscribing and listening. I'm on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, SoundCloud, at Dr. Karen Love and Life. If you head over to my website, you can sign up for my Riff on Relationships. I send about one or two emails a month just letting you know what we're thinking about and letting you know we're talking about on the podcast. Please let me know if you have any topics you want me to cover. I want this to be your show as much as it is mine. Thanks so much to my team. I want to give a shout out to my communications manager, Dale Gregory, and my producer, Michelle Musso. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, make it a great week. <laughs>